Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we're going to be diving into a topic that unfortunately is going to touch all of our lives. We're going to be talking about heart disease. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States, and all of us will likely be touched by it in a way that is not positive. So uh, it's a very important topic and something that a lot of people don't know much about, oddly enough, because there's a lot we can do to prevent and reverse it. So today we're so excited to be bringing on Dr. Esselstyn. He is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, a book that I read in college and was definitely life-changing for me. He graduated from Yale University and also received his MD from Case Western Reserve University, which is actually where I went to college in Ohio. He also won a gold medal in the Olympics, fun fact, back in 1956, which is pretty cool. He has a really fascinating history and is just so knowledgeable um, based on his whole education and experience as a heart surgeon. He's he's just incredibly impressive all around. He completed a tour as an army surgeon in Vietnam where he was awarded the Bronze Star and worked as a heart surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, becoming the president of the staff and a member of the Board of Governors and is currently the director of the Heart Disease Reversal Program at the Cleveland Clinic. His work has been life-changing for former President Bill Clinton, and he has personally advised New York City's Mayor Eric Adams, and the list just goes on. He has helped save the lives of countless people who were given a death sentence of less than a year to live by their doctors, and we are just so excited and grateful to have him on our show. Hope you enjoy. Before we jump in, we want to give a big thank you to our sponsor of this episode, Caraway Home. Caraway makes the most beautiful, modern, non-toxic, eco-friendly, non-stick, super easy to clean cookware. I've been using it and loving it in my home. It features a ceramic coating with this like very naturally slick surface that food literally slides off of. So if I'm making tofu or whatever that sometimes would like crisp onto the pan and be impossible to wash, that doesn't really happen with these pans. It just is so easy to clean. They come in gorgeous colors. I have this light green. They have cookware and bakeware, and we're absolutely obsessed with ours. Yeah. And it also looks beautiful, just displayed in your kitchen. If you are interested, check out carawayhome.com and use the code plantpoweredkitchen at checkout for 10% off of your next purchase. And we will include that in the show notes. Thank you so much, everyone. Happy cooking. Hi, Dr. Esselstyn. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. It's funny because the last time I spoke with you in person was actually all the way back in 2008. I brought you and Jane to come speak on campus at Case Western Reserve University, where I was in college at the time, to talk about heart disease. And everyone there was so moved. You reached an audience who, despite most being mostly being pre-med students or biology students had very little knowledge about the practical sense of how to prevent and reverse heart disease through diet. And yeah, everyone was just floored by what you shared. (laughs) So we're so excited to talk to you today. Um, We, uh, your book, 
I'll just tell one more little short story. My friend Jen, um, when I had gone vegan, she was like, you have to read this book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. And I was like, okay, I got the book and it sat on my bookshelf forever because I was just like, you know, I'm 20 something. I don't have heart disease. Like how relevant is this to my life? I just didn't know the impact. I didn't know heart disease was one of the leading causes of death in the United States or any of that. And eventually I picked it up and read it. And when I did, I couldn't put it down. And by the end of it, I was like, floored. I had gone vegan for ethical reasons. And I just, I thought I was sacrificing my health. I didn't know that in fact, eating plant-based had so many health benefits and was saving, could, could had the power to save so many lives. And so your, your book really moved me in a new direction of becoming really passionate about the wellness side of things. So thank you for writing that. (laughs) Thank you for reading it. (laughs) We'd love to to dive in, but first, can you introduce yourself and share basically how you came to the point of writing the book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, and kind of the beginning of those chapters that led you there? Well, I actually was trained as a general surgeon, and it was while I was uh, chairman of the Breast Cancer Task Force at the clinic in the late 1970s, early 80s, that I became increasingly disillusioned. Uh, with the fact that for no matter how many women I was doing breast surgery, I was doing absolutely nothing for the next unsuspecting victim. And this uh, sort of led to a a global review, and it was quite striking to find that there were multiple cultures where breast cancer rates were 30 and 40 times less frequent than the United States. And, for example, in r- rural China, uh, rural Japan, In the 1950s, breast cancer was very infrequently identified, but as soon as the Japanese women would migrate to the United States by the second and third generation, they now had the same rate of breast cancer as their Caucasian counterpart. And uh, even more striking was in the entire nation of Japan in 1958, how many autopsy-proven deaths were there from uh, cancer of the prostate? 18 the most mind-boggling public health figure I think I've ever encountered. Uh, But it was somewhere along about this time that I was seeing all these, there were, I was encountering multiple cultures where cardiovascular disease was virtually non-existent uh, because they were thriving on whole food, plant-based nutrition. And it just seemed to me that there would be more bang for the buck if we could somehow take the leading killer of women and men in Western civilization, get people to understand that by eating plant-based, they could avoid this. And at the same time, likely significantly diminish the likelihood of acquiring the common Western cancers of breast, prostate, colon, and pancreatic. So that was uh, the background that got me started in doing some research in, in heart disease. Explain what exactly is heart disease? Well, yeah, there. I guess we should quantify that, uh, or actually qualify that a little bit by saying when we say, uh, and then there are many things that can go wrong with the heart. Uh, for instance, the the heart can become ill with a virus. The heart can have valvular disease. The heart can be injured from high blood pressure. What I was particularly interested in is the leading cause of heart disease, which is 
coronary atherosclerosis, where the blood vessels to the heart become plugged and blocked with plaque and cholesterol. And, uh, and, and then, of course, the blood supply to the heart is significantly diminished. That's what's responsible for heart attacks. And when you have enough damage to your heart muscle with a heart attack, you can get congestive heart failure. So there are multiple things that can go wrong with the heart, but I was particularly focused on the, the primary one, which was coronary artery disease, athero, known as atherosclerosis. Can you talk a little bit about how that impacts people and your experience with atherosclerosis? Oh my gosh, atherosclerosis. <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. And your experience with heart disease before you got to the point of um, those findings in your research. Well, the uh, uh, the cause all experts would agree that where this disease has its <clears throat> causation, its inception, its onset, its beginning, <clears throat> is when we progressively injure the life jacket and the guardian of our blood vessels, which happens to be that delicate innermost lining called the endothelium, and the endothelium manufactures a truly magic molecule of gas called nitric oxide. And it is nitric oxide that is responsible for the salvation, preservation, and protection of all of our blood vessels because of the remarkable functions that nitric oxide possesses. For example, nitric oxide will keep all those cellular elements within your bloodstream flowing smoothly like Teflon rather than Velcro. It keeps things from getting sticky. Number two, nitric oxide is the strongest blood vessel dilator in the body. When you climb stairs, the arteries to your heart, the arteries to your legs, they widen, they dilate. That's nitric oxide. Number three, nitric oxide can protect the wall of the artery from becoming thickened, stiff, or inflamed and protect us from getting high blood pressure or hypertension. Number four, Number four is the absolute key. A safe and normal amount of nitric oxide will protect us all from ever developing any blockages or plaques. So literally, everybody on the planet Earth, whether they're from London, London, Berlin, Chicago, New York, or uh, Arkansas, if they have cardiovascular disease, it is because by now, in the previous decades, they have so sufficiently trashed, injured, compromised, and turned their endothelial system into an absolute train wreck that they no longer have enough nitric oxide to protect themselves from making blockages or plaque. However, the good news is this. This is not a malignancy. This is a completely benign foodborne illness. And once you can get patients to understand that never, never, ever again are they to pass through their lips a single morsel that is going to further injure an already train-wrecked endothelium because then the endothelium can recover, make enough nitric oxide so we can not only halt disease progression, but we often see elements of disease reversal. That seems so difficult, though. Uh, I have a, a story of my own where uh, I grew up with my grandparents um, part-time, and my grandpa loved eating salami and I loved eating salami. And one day I was eating this huge salami and my grandpa opened up his shirt and he showed me this huge scar on his chest. And he was like, you have to watch how much salami you eat 
because you don't want to have one of these. And ultimately, he died because of um, first he had a heart attack and then he had a triple bypass surgery and there were complications. And it it was so hard to get him to change his habits. And even with all of the information, I don't think it was enough. And I'm not sure. I often think about this with, with the type 2 diabetes and the heart disease in my family. If they had everything, like if they had you as the doctor, would that have changed the trajectory of their lives? Do you see that often in your in your in your patients, or did you see that often in your with with your patients that you give them the information and because it's so powerful that they understand the magnitude and the consequences of their decisions to continue eating that way that they change and reverse always reverse their heart disease? Yeah, I would I would hardly disagree with the fact that I mean if if you're a grandfather really uh, had received the message, it's not that the message is wrong. It is how the message is articulated. And most physicians who will say that they patients won't follow this, they'll give the patient, you know, ten or twelve minutes in the office without the spouse and talk about some pills. If you think that you're going to get a lifestyle change, giving a patient 10 or 12 minutes in the office, uh, you're dreaming. That just isn't going to happen. And uh, we sort of calculated what our adherence rate was among some 198 patients in a paper that I published uh, in 2014. And we found that the... uh, uh, adherence rate uh, was 89.3%. That's almost wow. 90. And But that doesn't... Uh, <laughs> see, if you're going to get a patient's attention and you're going to get a patient to make these changes, you've got to make show them respect. And the only way to show a patient respect is to give them our time. And by that, I mean, at the present time, uh, my practice consists of a primarily a once a month I perform a intensive counseling seminar for patients with a cardiovascular disease we limit it to 18 or 20 patients it is f- one single day five and a half hours and patients are going to learn all about how they have created their disease and precisely how they can be empowered as the locus of control to halt and to reverse their disease. So it's uh, in addition, uh, that's five and a half hours, but my secretary will give me a list of everybody who's coming, usually 10 or 12 days beforehand, with their phone numbers so that I personally can call each of them to get my arms around their story and at the same time answer questions that may they may have so that when they do come 10 days later to the seminar, we all have a strong platform from which we can all move forward. For instance, once a patient understands that the reason they had their disease is because they have so destroyed their endothelium that it is no longer making enough nitric oxide. Some of these patients almost come down in tears and rejoice with the fact they understand how this has happened and they understand that going forward that they themselves can be the locus of control. And uh, 
yes, it is a significant nutritional change, but just imagine if I take our uh, dietary approach over to Okinawa, they look at me and smile and say, well, <laughs> looks like you guys have finally caught on. We've been doing this for 500 years. <laughs> why do you think, why do you think it's, it's that way? I, I can't help but feel a little bit emotional as you're, as you're explaining the difference between your approach and the approach of many other doctors. And I'm sure people in our audience feel a little bit robbed if they've lost somebody because of the lack of information and the lack of resources and the lack of support that their family members received. Why do you think that is the common practice? Well, for, for, many, year, for many years, I resisted saying this. But the American Heart Association was formed in 1924. We knew at that time that there were multiple cultures on the planet where cardiovascular disease was unheard of. The American College of Cardiology was formed in 1949. And they knew that there were multiple cultures where cardiovascular disease is unheard of. Why wasn't it just a snap of the fingers? And why didn't everybody bring that to this country, that information? It's not complicated. And uh, I resisted this for years, but finally I think I figured out the answer when I asked a, a very prominent cardiologist why he was reticent to send patients for counseling so they could reverse their disease. And he said, you know what my build, what my build charges were last year? And I said, no. And he said, $5 million. Well, there it is. Now, with all due respect, an operation like stents or bypass, and when somebody's in the middle of a heart attack, can be absolutely life-saving. However, none of the stents, none of the bypasses, none of the drugs have one single solitary thing whatsoever to do with the causation of the illness. So you hear of a patient who's had their first stent. They're okay for a while. Then they have another stent. Okay for a while. A few more stents. Then they're told they have to have a bypass. Well, this is, uh, you know, that's almost criminal. Yeah. It's pretty mind-blowing <laughs> that it can get to this point and, and a point where it's so normalized where I imagine most doctors go through their career never really questioning it. So it doesn't feel like a conflict of... Um, a personal interest versus the patient's best interest. Like I imagine most cardiologists never are thinking about that. Um, I'm curious how it has changed now because it, it, this story has been now, at least I've been aware of it for a decade and a half. Are things starting to change? Are, is the treatment plan that's, per, that's prescribed or presented by doctors to heart disease patients starting to evolve? And where do you see the future of, of this going for people? No, I, I don't think that cardiologists uh, behave this way with any, uh, with any kind of malice of forethought, because, but never in their training in medical school, never in their training uh, in postgraduate years do they really get uh, an education about the causation uh, mm -hmm. of the illness uh, and the causation of the illness that they're designated to treat. But I'd like to spend a moment uh, on the... Uh, what are the foods that every time they pass our lips, we injure the endothelial cells? Would that mm -hmm. be all right? Yes, please. 
That would be, for example, any drop of oil, olive oil, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, coconut oil, palm oil, oil in a cracker, oil in a piece of bread, oil in a chip, oil in salad dressing. Oil injures endothelial cells, as does anything with a mother or a face, like meat, fish, chicken, fowl, turkey, and eggs. Also, we want to eliminate dairy, milk, cream, butter, cheese, ice cream, and yogurt. We want to be careful of sugar, sugary drinks, diet colas, Pepsi or Coke, too much sugary foods such as cakes, pies, cookies, stevia, agave, excesses of maple syrup, molasses, and honey. I don't like peanuts, peanut butter, nut butters, cashew sauce, or avocado, and no coffee with caffeine. Once we eliminate those foods that injured the endothelial cells, what are you going to eat? You're going to eat all these marvelous whole grains for your cereal, bread, pasta, rolls, and bagels, 101 different types of legumes, lentils, and beans, all these marvelous red, yellow, and green leafy vegetables, some white potatoes, sweet potatoes, and some fruit. And there are many books with uh, a multitude of uh, wonderful recipes for these products. Now, uh, what are you going to, we mentioned what you're going to eat, but I've made a significant modification in our program about uh, 10 years ago. And I should mention that I wrote a, I wrote a paper that was published in the American, in the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. And the paper that I wrote was entitled, Is Oil Healthy? And I review the animal studies and the human studies uh, showing how oil injures uh, endothelial cells. So now let's uh, come back to what the modifications were that I made about a decade ago. That's when we took cognizant of the fact that the endothelial production of nitric oxide is age dependent. You never heard of a boy or a girl at age eight having a heart attack, right? No, they have nitric oxide coming out of their ears. But by the time they're age 50, beautifully healthy, they now have 50% of the nitric oxide they had when they were 25. By the time you're 80, you've lost uh, 70%. So the modification I made was to have a further stimulation of the, of the endothelial production of nitric oxide. And at the same time, most important of all, took advantage of the newer research that shows us that there is an alternate pathway for mankind to make nitric oxide. For example, that is why when I encounter patients with heart disease, they're going to be asked to chew, not smoothies, not juicing. They've been asked to chew a green leafy vegetable <clears throat> six times a day that is roughly the size of half of your fist after it has first been boiled in water, five and a half to six minutes, so it's nice and tender. And then you must, you must then anoint it with several drops of a delightful, either balsamic or rice vinegar. Why? Because research has shown us that the acetic acid from those vinegars will restore the nitric oxide synthate enzyme, which is contained within the endothelial cell and responsible for making nitric oxide. So you're gonna chew this alongside your breakfast cereal, again as a mid-morning snack, again with your luncheon sandwich, that's three, mid-afternoon, four, 
dinner time five, and of course I adore it when you have that uh, evening snack of arugula, <laughs> arugula or kale. Now the second benefit that comes from chewing the green, it stimulates your bone marrow to once again make the endothelial progenitor cells. What do they do? The endothelial progenitor cells replace our senescent, injured, worn out endothelial cells. Now, the third benefit from chewing the green leafy vegetable, most important, when you're chewing the green leafy vegetable, you are chewing a green nitrate. As you chew the green nitrate, it is going to mix with the facultative anaerobic bacteria that reside in the crypts and grooves of your tongue. Those bacteria are going to mix with and reduce that nitrate that you're chewing to a nitrite. Now, when you swallow the nitrite, it is your own gastric acid, which is now going to f further reduce the nitrite to more nitric oxide, which can enter your nitric oxide pool. So think about it. What you're doing for minimal expense, no hideous side effects, literally all day long, dawn to dusk, morning to night, you are absolutely restoring nitric oxide. The very molecule, the deficiency of which gave you this disease in the first place. Now there's a caveat to this. Toothpaste with fluoride, public drinking water with fluoride, and mouthwash will injure the beneficial bacteria in your mouth. And I do not like antacids because antacids will reduce your gastric acidity and you will be unable to reduce the nitrite to more nitric oxide. Now, the top six are Kale, Swiss chard, spinach, arugula, beet greens, and beets. Now, if you want the entire list, it is bok choy, Swiss chard, kale, collards, collard green, beet greens, mustard green, turnip greens, napa cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, cilantro, parsley, spinach, and arugula, and asparagus. And the reason I do that is to show you that whole food plant-based nutrition will preserve your memory. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can turn that into a very catchy song there that can go. go viral on the internet. And that kids learn in kindergarten, right? Like kids could totally be learning that in kindergarten. Um, wow, that that <laughs> that's both very helpful and very specific and feels overwhelming until you get the strong understanding of what is the damage happen like how is the damage happening from the foods that we're eating so for people who are just stepping into this who maybe have a standard american diet or maybe are leaning more plant based we we have this general understanding that the standard american diet is bad for us the standard american diet causes type 2 diabetes and heart disease and all these foods that you mentioned that big long list that we shouldn't be eating um, for optimal health are not great for us but can you explain how those foods Foods are injuring our endothelial cells or endothelium like how how functionally is that happening and why yeah, it's, yeah there's uh, <laughs> when we eat these it restab these foods will establish a lot of what we call free radicals and free radicals uh, go along with oxidation and <clears throat> when this begins to happen then of course you lose the endothelial production of nitric oxide and then things get sticky. And then you have your sticky LDL cholesterol bumping up against your sticky endothelium. It identifies a crack, a fissure, an opening, migrates into the subendothelial space, 
where there's further ox oxidation and you have these reactive oxygen species which are gobbled up by what we call the foam cell because the subendothelial space doesn't like those small hard dense LDL particles <clears throat> and calls upon what we call the SWAT team. White blood cells come across there and gobble up, gobble up, gobble up these small hard dense LDL particles and then we change the name of that, that cell that has gobbled these up to a foam cell. And the foam cell is truly the Darth Vader of this sequence of events because the foam cell elaborates these nasty uh, enzymes called metalloproteinases, stromelicin, elastase, collagenase, myeloperoxidase. And what do they do that's so bad? Well, if you think of this blockage or plaque in your artery, it has a cap over it. And the cap is made of fibrous tissue and endothelium, and the metalloproteinases erode that cap, make it thinner and thinner, and suddenly the sheer force of blood racing over that thinned out cap tears it. Now what you've got, you've got this seminal moment where you have torn the cap over the plaque, and there is the extravasation, or the oozing out of, if you will, of plaque content into the flowing blood where it activates our clotting factors like platelets. And then what happens in that portion of the plaque where there's been a rupture, now there's a clot that's forming. And in a matter of minutes, that clot, uh, which is self-propagating, makes enough clot that the entire lumen, the entire opening of the vessel is now filled with clot. And all the downstream heart muscle is suddenly deprived of oxygen and nutrients, and that's 90% of your heart attacks. It's hard to envision. I, I was a biology student, so I, I find this fascinating, <laughs> and my brain is trying to keep up. But I imagine for most people who um, haven't been schooled in biology, um, it might seem kind of a, a confusing how a heart a heart attack happens and what leads to this. We will put some maybe videos or photos into the show notes that could be helpful to visualize. But I know just one like very simple visual that can help people understand the basics is just looking at an artery of someone who's eating a very clean whole foods diet versus looking at an artery for someone that's been living on the standard American diet. Can you describe the difference between those what those look like? Well, uh, if you're eating uh, whole food plant-based nutrition, the, the whole cascade of the events that I just uh, moments ago described are abrogated. They just don't, they just aren't initiated. And the visual that, that I know is shared online a lot is just, you see this open artery, right? That's clean and clear and everything's flowing easily through it versus right. the clogged artery where there's just plaque buildup all along the sides that gets closer right. and closer and more and more filled to the point where it's like clogged and it leads to a heart attack. And mm -hmm. The things that you've shared that have impacted me is that when you're eating a standard American diet, which almost all of us either are or were at some point, um, in America <laughs> at least, that within a certain number of decades of eating that way, everyone will eventually get there. Like that's just the the trajectory of our, our, our arteries and our heart health is they will get progressively clogged to the point where you are a heart disease patient. Yeah, I um, think you make an excellent point because I think that I want to cite two uh, two studies. The one first was uh, 
when we looked at the uh, uh, coronary arteries of our combat casualties in Korea in uh, uh, you know 1950 51 and at these average age 20 year old uh, soldiers who had died in combat, 80% already had gross evidence of coronary artery disease. You could see without a microscope, not enough for their cardiac events yet, but there was the foundation of the disease. Now that study was then repeated 45 years later, this time looking at young women and men between the ages of 17 and 34 who had died of accidents, homicides, and suicides. Now, the disease is ubiquitous. Everybody. Not enough for their cardiac wow. event. But is it any surprise? In other words, if you are, if you're over 17, or any of your people on the other end of this conversation are over 17, and they've been eating the typical Western diet, rest assured that you already have a foundation for heart disease. Speaking of age, I know it's I know it's often said and felt that the older you are, the harder it is to change your habits. Do you have any examples of people yeah, who yeah, were I, really? I most certainly do have. I, my oldest patient came to me when he was uh, 87, had been like most of the patients, he was told uh, incorrectly that he had to have bypass surgery. Well, you start doing bypass surgery on people who are 87 year old who are fragile, uh, you're going to have a pretty high mortality. So he refused the surgery. He immediately was an absolute total, uh, had a commitment to whole food, plant-based nutrition. And just to, and we uh, stay in touch with him about every four or five months. <laughs> Next week, <laughs> he is celebrating his 100th uh, wow, birthday. Wow, amazing. Wow, you did that. That's fantastic. That's really great. Um, what advice do you have for people who have just learned of this really awful, potentially fatal situation? Uh, are there resources that you suggest? Of course, we're going to link your book, but what else can they do to get the help that they need well, and the right it, consultation? Hopefully, they'll get themselves in the hands of somebody who has a commitment and knows how to counsel these patients because... Think about it for a moment. How about a, how, for, for a patient who really gets their arms around the science? Let's make it simple. They understand that the reason they've had their heart attack is because they have so destroyed their endothelial capacity to make nitric oxide, they no longer had progression or protection. But they, but they also realize at the same time that they have been given a gift and the gift is not any complicated science. The gift is their opportunity to be, the they themselves can be the locus of control to halt, reverse, and stop this disease. Now, what patient who has spent an hour, let's say, with me beforehand on a phone call, and then another five and a half hours learning all about the science, how many patients do you suppose in that situation would come up to me afterwards and say, Gosh, Dr. Esselstyn, that was an interesting six hours. I really understand now how I caused my heart attack. But uh, next week, Lois and I are celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary, and I guess we're going to probably destroy our few remaining endothelial cells. What? <laughs> Not going to happen. I think it's it's really, I mean, just the the 
the rate of people who jump on this when they're given the information is very inspiring. And it just shows that we do have the ability to create a future where heart disease yeah. is, is nearly yeah. eradicated if we just change our treatment. Let me share another uh, story about a couple of weeks ago. I was counseling a couple where the husband had a heart attack. And uh, I got through, after 40 minutes, I went through all the endothelial uh, cells and nitric oxide business. And then the wife said to me, uh, Dr. Esselstyn, you haven't told us what are the cheat days. And I said, would you spell that? She said, C-H-E-A-T. Oh, I said, you mean it's as if he's good all week long, he should have the weekend off to do what he wants. Yeah, she said, that's right. I said, you know what you've just asked me? You just said that you would like your husband 104 out of 365 days to continue to do what he can to destroy his few, few remaining endothelial cells so he can have another heart attack. Oh my goodness, she said, I didn't think of it that way. It's it's kind of like with sports or with anything, you need a good coach who can help you see the issue and give you the, you can do this and you should do this and the push to how important it is and what's on the line if you succeed or fail. And we can, our brains are wired to like convince us to do the things that are easy or to ignore the problems or the things that are hard. And so having someone from the outside just say, you know, if you do that, you're putting your life on the line and you might not be able to see your grandkids or whatever is, is really, um, it's helpful. And it's, it's sad that it's not something that almost everyone has access to right now, but hopefully that will change. Can you give us an example of, of what to eat? You know, you, you mentioned some things that you shouldn't eat. Um, what is a, an example, what is a, an example of a menu for a breakfast, lunch, and dinner for you personally? Well, I like old-fashioned uh, oats. And I like it usually with a little uh, uh, low-sugar oat milk, plus raisins, plus a banana, plus raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, and blackberries. I'm, I have a fair amount of fruit, and that's a, that's a very phytonutrient-rich uh, breakfast. Uh, then in mid-morning, I usually end up having a, uh, a, a snack of uh, green leafy vegetable that has been uh, first been steamed five and a half to six minutes. And, uh, and then it's anointed with uh, several drops of a balsamic vinegar. That's just a little snack to keep the nitric oxide level high. Uh, then at lunch, it could be a wonderful vegetable soup that Ann makes, uh, sometimes with a whole wheat uh, bagel. Um, another thing is, is an open sandwich that has sprouts uh, and some hummus uh, and some strips of arugula uh, over a whole wheat uh, bread. Uh, supper time, there can be lasagna, vegetable lasagna, that's just good. Or you can have any grain, whether it's farro, rice, uh, you know, buckwheat, farro, quinoa, whatever, and have steamed vegetables <clears throat> over that. Uh, 
and you can have uh, pizza without cheese and and with a bread that is uh, that is what we call safe, <laughs> not filled with oil or, or high in sodium. Uh, anyway, those are just a few suggestions. Well, that all sounds delicious. When you were first listing everything that's on the don't eat list, <laughs> it sounds overwhelming and like all your favorite foods go off the table. But everything you just described is familiar. It's delicious. It's filling. It's obviously nutritious. Um, and there's lots more ideas. We'll include some links to um, the Prevent Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook and, uh, and other resources for more recipes. And you also have recipes in your book, Prevent Reverse Heart Disease. There's an, uh, there's one other one <laughs> that's delicious that I uh, like, and that is you use a a big uh, oh god what is what's that great big mushroom that we all love so much shiitake Port, portobello that's portobello it. right and portobello. I love the portobello. You, you make a get a bun put the portobello in it and then anoint it with all the uh, the other uh, good goodies of vegetables and God, that's a, that's a, like a, that's a feast. It's great. That's amazing. That's awesome. Where can our audience find you if they want more information? Uh, what are the best social channels? Yeah. If they want to come be part of our seminar or something that's, that's all orchestrated by my wonderful secretary, Jackie Fry and her contact information is listed on my website, dressleston.com where you can see, a number of the articles that I've written scientifically, then there are some of the testimonials from patients that we've treated. Uh, you can go to YouTube and uh, you can hear some of the presentations that I've given. Uh, and of course, there's always uh, Forks Over Knives, the movie. Awesome. We will definitely link all of those. Thank you so much for being such a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure people are feeling really inspired and hopefully we'll be sharing this podcast episode with their loved ones. And we're really grateful for your time and your your presence in this space, making a huge difference in the world. Yeah, I want to just say that, you know, remember there are two organizations now uh, with plant-based physicians and one is the Plantrition uh, Group. And the other one is the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And this, uh, these are very, very sanguine uh, towards uh, whole food plant-based nutrition. And there, as I recall, there's several thousand doctors in plantrition group and over five or 8,000 in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. That's awesome. We will include both of those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Esselstyn, for all the lives you saved and for your time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank Thank you. you. No surprise that Gene was amazing and we loved talking to him. But before we close out our episode, we want to give another thank you to our sponsor, Caraway Home, who does cookware and bakeware. And if you go to their website, carawayhome.com and use the code plantpoweredkitchen at checkout, you can get 10% off of your next purchase. We'd like to thank Dr. Esselstyn for that fantastic interview. He is just such a gem and so many lives have been changed because of because of his presence in this space. So thank you again, Dr. Esselstyn. And if you or a loved one are experiencing heart disease, you know how heavy this is. It's really tough. I lost my grandpa to um, 
a triple bypass surgery and it's it's just rough. So we're thinking of you, sending lots of love, and we're going to drop Dr. Esselstyn's book in the show notes. Check that out. Buy it for someone um, you know who may be battling this. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Once again, Dr. Esselstyn's book is called Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. You can find it on Amazon, bookstores, wherever you shop for books. You can order a copy for yourself and a friend. And you can find all the links in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show, it means the world to us and really does help us produce more episodes. As you've noticed, we've moved to weekly episodes this season, thanks to all the support and our awesome sponsors as well. So that's been really exciting. You can support the show at um, patreon.com slash... <laughs> at patreon.com slash plant-powered people. Thank you so much for listening. Wishing you all the best and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.